Ephesians 5. We're going to look at verses 1 to 2 in Ephesians 5. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also have loved us, and have given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our gracious God, we do come before you this morning, our Father, and we do ask and pray uh, for your hand upon us as we continue, uh, Lord, to be under your word. We want to praise you, Father, for the privilege it is to be able to meet together here without the fear of persecution. We know that one day, uh, Lord, we would have to uh, perhaps uh, be very wise in the way we meet, but we have the freedom today, and we're so thankful for the freedom that we have to meet in this public area, to be able to reach others. And we pray that at uh, this time we would not squander the moment, that we would make full proof of this time that we have by being uh, good listeners. And not only good listeners, but Father, we would have a heart to obey what we hear. We pray through your spirit and by your word that you would continue to minister to us today and that you would help me, Father, convey your word simply, plainly, and effectively with conviction to the hearts of your people, that they would be built up in the faith and the decisions that they will make will be a sweet-smelling savour to you today. Father, we do love you, and we know that you love us. That's why we're here today. And I do ask from you, Father, that you would work in the hearts of those today that do not know you as their Lord and Saviour. I pray that you would use this message to ignite or spark up something in the soul of a dead man. That they'll be convicted of their sin and see their need for Christ and come to know you and to know you is to know life eternal. We pray, Father, for those that cannot be with us today. We pray that you'd have your hand of grace and mercy upon them. You'd continue to grow them and help them, Father, where they are. And we, we think of Dylan and his family. We pray that you'd have your hand upon them as they travel and that you would give them the grace to be a witness as they make their way home. Father, we pray all these things and we praise you in and through the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and only in his name that we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're in our series, our Renewed Walk, and this morning we'll continue in part two. Part two continued, and so this will be the fourth uh, sermon of Walk in Love, of part one. And uh, we're going to cover two, cover two more main points from Ephesians 5 verse 2. Last week we looked at one main point. We looked at the Saviour's love. And uh, from verse 2, walk in love as Christ also have loved us. We looked at that and we see that Christ exhibited the no greater love, uh, the, the, the greatest love anyone can ever, ever witness is the love of Christ. And uh, over here the Apostle Paul says walk in love. Paul used that word walk often to illustrate the progress of a Christian and the outward life of a Christian. The life that others can see. And so here we see a manifestation of a life that should be lived or walked as Christ walked in loving others. Uh, we cannot find a love that is greater than what we see in Christ. He not only taught it, but he demonstrated it with his life. And so we're going to see 
Uh, two more things. The sacrifice of the Saviour's love in Ephesians 5.2. And we're going to see the savour of love in Ephesians 5.2. So we see the sacrifice of love. He says here, in a love uh, simply given was an offering and a sacrifice to God. And the savour is a love that was a sweet aroma to God. So we're going to look at these two today. We'll start with uh, the first one, the sacrifice of love. What we have to understand that behind the Saviour's love was a free will offering and sacrifice. Jesus was, was, was uh, you know, willingly laying down his life for us. Uh, he gave himself, the Bible says, as an offering and sacrifice to God. Yes, it was the will of the Father uh, for Christ to die for us how, uh, was, was no doubt the will of the Father, but he willingly laid down his life for us. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. So yes, it was the will of the Father that you would come and die for us sinners, but Jesus also willingly laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ loved us so much that he laid down his own life for us. He was uh, willing to su suffer persecution, humiliation, uh, he was willing to be treated like a scumbag. He uh, sat under those that spat upon him. Uh, he was scourged, whipped and beaten, bruised and then nailed to a cross for us. And so he was put on display and humiliated as they stripped his clothes, you know, practically naked, dressed in his blood for all to see. But he willingly came under that. He put himself under that. He gave himself as an offering, if you will. A preacher once said, The love that took the Son of God from the heights of heaven and the throne of the universe to that cross of shame and woe on a skull-shaped hill called Calvary to die on our behalf is more than tongue can tell. It was an offering and a sacrifice. Paul puts it this way. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Our love for others ought to be the same. It ought to be the same kind of love that Christ showed us freely. Freely and graciously. And we looked at that last week very specifically. As Christ loved us, we ought to love others. But the way he did it was a way that was self-sacrificing. I mean, this is the sacrifice of love. Uh, we're going to see today that love is not just mere words. The love of Christ was self-sacrificing love. It was a love that goes beyond words, beyond feelings, beyond an affection that we have in our heart. It is a love that acts upon the words, acts upon the feeling, and acts upon affection. It, it is a love that acts. It is a love that gives. It was the same kind of uh, uh, love that God bestowed upon us. God the Father. For God loved the world that he what? He gave. It is a love that gives. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter number 3, please. I want you to see four things here 
in our passage from 1 John chapter number 3, starting from verse 16. I want you to see the main example for Christian giving, if you will, because that's what sacrificial love is. God gave, that's love. Christ gave himself, that's love. And we ought to follow the same pattern in the sacrificial love that we show for others, which is giving. Okay? And so 1 John 3.16, Hebrew I perceive we the love of God. How do we see the love of God? How do we understand it? Well, it says because he laid down his life for us. And look at this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Someone said a murderer, uh, sorry, murder and hate take life. Love gives one life. Uh, Jesus is a supreme example. Cain sacrificed his brother. Christ sacrificed himself. Christ's example is not just to be admired. It, 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 it needs to be copied. And so really the two options on the shelf that we have is that we can actually live our lives being hateful toward others or we can be living our lives where we love others and loving others is giving ourselves. And so we see we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The Lord Jesus is the highest benchmark to follow in the area of giving. And we call... Uh, we, you know, uh, we're called to, to follow after his pattern, the pattern of the same kind of love, a love that is willing to give one's life for another. We see this example in Aquila and Priscilla. If you're familiar with them, they were walk, working with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 16 and verse 3. Greet, Paul says, greet uh, Priscilla and Aquila. He says, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. Who have for my life laid down their own what? Next. Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So over here the Apostle Paul is thanking Aquila and Priscilla and the church for their not only being a helper, but being willing to lay down their own life. Now if you identified your, uh, yourself with the Apostle Paul, you can mark it down that your life would have been in danger. Because everywhere the Apostle Paul went, he preached the gospel. Why? Because he was selfless. He was living the life of Christ, called to be an apostle, gave himself to the ministry, and that came, the life of Christ, exhibited with the persecution and the hate-mongering that came along with it, and he was willing to do that. But if you hung around the apostle Paul, you'd be in trouble. Uh, on Thursday, we went out soul winning. Both Phil and I went out to Maitland, and we uh, were witnessing out there, and we entered into the Compass Center. We know that it's a private area, so we're very discreetly giving out gospel pamphlets. And uh, we were speaking to a few people, and, and, uh, and it was just cordial. We weren't making a scene. It was, it was good. No one was getting offended or anything like that. And uh, as we left one person uh, speaking with them, uh, a, a guy approached us, uh, approached us. He was a Christian. He's probably in his 60s. He came to us. He goes, you, you know, I love your shirts. And uh, he started speaking, uh, speaking to us about the things of God. And then the security guard came. And uh, he basically said to us, obviously, we're wearing the shirts that expose what we're kind of about, Jesus, and uh, which attracted, no doubt, the, the, the Christian, and, but also the security guard. And so he comes along and he says, you guys have to leave, you can't be approaching customers. I said, well, hang on a minute, he approached us, and then he told the customer to leave. We've never seen that before in our life. We've never seen that, you know, people that have approached us told to leave the compass center. And we told him right at the end, I said, the reason why you got in trouble is because of the, 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 the name that we've got on our shirts. We get it all the time. We're not welcome. We get it. 
We're not welcome in this world. As Christians, we're not welcome. You've got to get that. You've got to understand that. You're not going to be loved. But you know what? It's the kind of love that God wants us to lay down because in the life of others, people see it, people understand it, they will witness it. And they'll say that there's something different about those people. That's why, you know, Peter says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set apart. Uh, give that place to the Lord. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope that is in you with meekness and with what? With fear. There are people that are watching and they're watching the Christ-like attitude. I mean, what, what did Christ do wrong? What are you doing wrong? Giving people hope to the hopeless? Sharing Christ with people? I mean, I can understand those people that go out and they're belligerent and they, they're just aggressive and they, they hate on people. They call people to repent in a very mean way. But if you're going out there and you're being Christ-like, witnessing to people, you can mark it down. You will be hated no matter how you present yourself because of who you follow. And we're told to follow in such a way where we're willing to lay down our lives even when it hurts. That's what sacrifice is all about. Even when we're misunderstood, even when people don't understand, even people, if they don't, you know, they don't get it or, you know, they don't care. But the whole idea here is that Priscilla and Aquila weren't offended by the life of the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, they were willing to lay down their lives. They were willing to make themselves of no reputation. And it's the same thing that the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. Don't be ashamed of my bonds. Don't be ashamed. And we know and understand if Timothy was under the, the Paul the Apostle, we know and understand and hung around long enough that he wasn't ashamed because it was the love of Christ manifesting. Look, to the world and those that reject Christ, yes, we're the offscoring, we're scum. But to that, to that Christian or to that one that would believe, it's a sweet-smelling savor. One is a savor unto death, the other one is a savor unto life. That's what Paul says. We're a savor to both, the haters and those that love the Lord. And so we see... The main example for Christian giving is no doubt Christ. We also see the method in this passage for Christian giving. Look at verse 17. But whoso have the world's goods and seeth his brother have need. The, by the way, the world goods here refers to the things we need to live and sustain life. The world's goods. It's not talking about wants. Uh, uh, it's talking about needs. And seeth his brother have need, of course, this is talking about genuine meeting, a genuine need of a brother. We're not talking about a brother that is slothful, not working, someone that's lazy. Uh, as a matter of fact, these people, you can do more harm than good if you continue to supply their need and you don't help them get work or whatever it is. And so we're, we're talking about needs here, that people have genuine needs in the world. Brothers have genuine needs. Hey, uh, there are some people in the world that they're not, you know, they have genuine need. And if we can meet that need by the grace of God, we ought to. Uh, it's, it's, it's Christian love and Christian giving. William MacDonald said, this does not justify, the Bible says, indiscriminate giving to everyone because it is possible to harm a man by giving him money with which to buy what, good, what would not be good for him, which is true. Oh, there are a lot of people out there that they have money to buy cigarettes and alcohol, but no food. We meet them all the time on the street. Oh, give me money. Aren't you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm a, I'm a wise Christian. Amen. And uh, I want to meet the need and I want to show love to people. and I want to show Christ-like love. And this is why the Bible says to be harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. You know, you can do more good and more harm than good to others by giving 
to, a, to, to, to someone that's not in genuine need. So over here it says, see his brother have need. There are genuine needs that we must meet, and that's the method. We must see a brother, we want to meet that need, it's Christ-like love, it's perhaps sacrificial. And I want you to see the motive for Christian giving. It says, and shutteth his, but whoso have this, his world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of what? Compassion from him. Look at this. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Our motive of forgiving is the love of God. Our, our, this is the greatest motive, and we'll see that a bit later on. But it's the love of God toward us. The bowels of compassion here means when we see a genuine need, God works in our hearts by the spirit of love and moves us to meet the need. That's, what, that's what's supposed to take place. How dwelleth the love of God in you? Because that's what the spirit of God, honestly, when we see someone genuine in need, not the... Not, not, not the wishy-washy love that you know, the world has and they want to promote themselves or they want, to, they want themselves to look good and you know, they try to meet every need on the pedestal or in, in the public. No, no, no. We, we're talking about genuine needs that the Holy Spirit of God leads us to meet. If we have the ability by God's grace to meet the need and we do not meet the need, how dwelleth the love of God in you? How? To shut up means to close the door. And we know even as a Christian that's saved and is not led by the Spirit of God can simply have this disposition. Because you're quenching the work of God. You're grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit in your life. So John really asks, if we could put it like this, why close the door of compassion upon others who are in genuine need? And by the way, if you really have eyes to see, and your heart is tender, you'll be able to see a genuine need when you see one. And you'll do all that you can, even if you didn't have the resources to help that person. All that you can. The love of God is our main motive. It is the love of God that dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that helps us to have the burden to meet the needs of others. The faith we have in Christ should be noticed by the love we have for others. Look, look at the church at Colossae. In chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your what? Your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the who? The saints. It's, it's, it's faith in action. Faith in action loves others. And they heard about it. You know, faith can be seen by the way we live for others. You're a Christian, you believe in Christ. Well, it can be seen by the way you love others. This is why Jesus said, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples. When you have love one toward another. By this, it is the greatest, one of the greatest marks of a Christian. Now, I want you to see the mandate for Christian giving, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, Neither in tongue, but in what? But in what? But in deed and in truth. Indeed means in action. To love indeed means to act upon a genuine need and, and meet it as opposed to uh, word only. Uh, there must be a personal, deliberate course 
of action. This is why Paul says to the church at Colossae, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies. There needs to be a course of action. Uh, not just uh, things that are spoken, uh, things that are said, uh, like James chapter 2 says, you know, oh, poor thing, uh, we see a person that is in genuine need and we say, oh, poor thing, I'll pray for that person. No, meet, you have the resources perhaps to meet the need, meet the need. Or you're going to say that you're going to meet the need, meet the need. You're going to promise or vow to meet the need, meet the need. Uh, <clears throat> and so in truth means to love, in truth means to love in a genuine manner as opposed to loving in just tongue, just with the lips, but genuine, sincerely. Loving in tongue only is to be insincere. They're words with no heart. I heard a story about a young man that spent his entire evening telling a girl how much he loved her. The entire evening. He said uh, uh, that he could not live without her. And that he would go to the ends of the earth for her, who even go through the fire and even die for her. And as he was leaving, he said to her, I'll see you tomorrow if it's not raining. You know, we can express this even on the marriage altar. I love you. I love you too. I do. I do. But you know what? What happens after the honeymoon period is over? Oh, you say, is it over? Well, some people, it is. It shouldn't be. But what happens when it is, or if it does? Well, you reignite that by love in action, that you stay true to your vows, not just in, in word and tongue, but in action, in deed and in truth. Meeting those things that I've said, uh, you know, a while back to the one I said I love and I'll, ne I'll never give up on. To give oneself. You know, this is what... You know, Ephesians 5 tells the man to do, by the way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what? And gave himself for it. It's, it's, we're not there yet, but we'll probably get there in who knows when. I think it's going to be under the banner of walking in the spirit of God. Because if you're walking in the spirit of God, you know what? You're going to be led to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you're going to cultivate that and grow in that area. But if you read that passage, it's, it's, he says, as you love your own bodies and you wash it and you cherish it, so, so do your wife. And when I came to think about that passage, though we're not even there yet, and pondering upon these things, I, I was in awe, awe-stricken how, how, how the head of the church or the head of the body cares for us. He cares for us. He washes us with the word. He cleanses us by the word. Even now you're being cleansed by the preaching of God's word. You're, you're being built up so there'll be no spot or blemish when that day comes. You'll be presented as a glorious church to God. And that's part of uh, the ministry of Christ and his word. But we can resist that and we can, we can uh, reject the ministry of the word by being stubborn and not obeying what God tells us to. I thought I'd just throw that in there. We're not there yet, but it's a beautiful thought how as we, you know, care for ourselves, we should care for our spouse, love them as Christ loved us, and he gave himself for us, and, and he lived a sacrificial life. It wasn't just word only. Jesus didn't go around telling people, I love you, 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 I love you. No, he showed that he loved them. Now, I'm not saying to you it's wrong to tell someone or show affection to someone that you love them. 
I believe here what John is saying, not just word and tongue, not only just that, but let your actions meet your words. Live out what you say. You can say to someone that you love them, you can give them that reassurance, it's, it's good. But it, it, it is disappointing when you say that to someone and they don't see it in your actions. We must love with all our hearts by being genuine and meeting the needs of others. The Lord would have us to be grace givers and not tight givers. I want you to uh, use an example that the Apostle Paul wanted to encourage the Corinthians. The Corinthians were a church that made a commitment to meet the needs of the poor people in, Jerus in Jerusalem that were going through a famine. There was uh, a famine in Jerusalem there was, and the church was suffering. And so Paul, as he went to his missionary journeys, went to different churches and called for them to give to this need. Well, other churches gave. The church at Corinth said they would, but didn't. And so he uses now the churches of Macedonia to encourage them to give. It wasn't a comparison. It wasn't there to put them on show. It was there to encourage them to say, look, listen, the grace of God worked in the churches of Macedonia. Watch how the grace of God can work in your life. What, what do you mean? To be grace givers. Sacrificial givers, giving, if you will, in a way that you know meets the needs of others, and at the same time, it's a sacrificial offering. I want you to see this in Second Corinthians, if you will, Second Corinthians eight, and I want you to see verse one. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here to the Corinthians. He says, "Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit." Now, this is a different word. We we want you to know. Well, what do you want them to know? Well, we want you to know, church in Corinth, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. You know what he was saying here? That this church in Macedonia they probably weren't as wealthy as the church at Corinth. But yet, in their trial and their affliction and their deep poverty, they gave. They gave <clears throat> to the need of those uh, brethren in, in, in Jerusalem. He says, for their power, I bear, or power or strength or ability, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. In other words, there were people that really didn't have the resources to meet the need. But listen, somehow they went beyond their ability and gave beyond their crumbs like the Pharisees. And they were like that widow with the two mites to meet the need. You remember that story that Jesus told his disciples about the Pharisees, how they gave out of their abundance and the widow with all her two mites. Well, the widow with the two mites, it was a sacrificial gift. She gave to the treasury box. By the way, if you give to the treasury box back then, uh, those that were in charge were there to meet the needs of the ministry. And the Pharisees gave out of their abundance, their overflow. It didn't hurt them. But this widow with two mites... She gave out of her living. In other words, it could have been out of the living for that day or for that week. She would have probably went hungry for that week or fasted for that week, you know, in order to give in a sacrificial manner. Now, this is not manipulative from Jesus' part to his disciples. He's just saying, uh, look at the difference between a Pharisee giving 
and a woman that really wanted to give to the service and the ministry of the Lord. And so it is with this church of Macedonia. They gave out of their deep poverty. They were even afflicted. And they wanted to meet the need. It gets even uh, better. Look at verse 4. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In other words, it was like, we beg you, Paul. They were praying, they were begging, they were saying, please take this. We want to be part of the ministry of giving to the, to the needy saints in Jerusalem. You didn't have to tell these people to give. They were wanting to give. They heard a need, they wanted to meet it. They jumped up to it, they want to meet the need. They weren't reserved about it. I mean, it wasn't he, like the poor, trying to convince the Corinthians, come on, give. You said you want to give, now give. No, it was the other way around. These people were begging poor to give. Now, I'll say to you, that's the grace of God upon their lives. You can't do that if you're not in the grace of God. You can't do that if you're not walking in the spirit of love. You can't live that kind of sacrificial way if you're not in tune with the things of God by the spirit of God. You know why? You know what you're going to resort to? You're going to live for yourself. All you're going to do is take care of yourself, pamper yourself, not even think about others. It's all about self, self, self. That's all you're going to do. Your life is just wrapped up about yourself. You're not thinking about how I can give to the ministry of the Lord to further the, the ministry or in any way, shape or form. You're thinking about themselves, well, uh, yourself. These people weren't thinking about themselves. In verse 5, this they did, look at this, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to who? Here's the key, don't miss it. This is the key. But first gave their own selves to who? To the Lord. That's the key. And unto us by the will of God. They were serving God for the first... For, they, were, they weren't following Paul. And then, by the way, the churches of Macedonia, it covers the church of Philippi, Thessalonica, perhaps Berea. We don't hear about any church in Berea, but it looked like there, there could be one, but a letter wasn't written to them. However, these letters of Thessalonica and, 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 uh, and the church of Philippi could have been passed around. But you know and understand that when the word of God came to the, the people at Thessalonica, they received it as the word of God indeed, not as the word of man. And he commended them for that. And there's a big difference when you're serving God and serving man. When you're serving man, it's limited. Your life is limited because you only serve as long as they see or as you get the applauses, the amens, the following, whatever it is, the likes. But when you're serving God, when you get zero, you'll still serve God the same, if not more. Because your serving is not contingent based upon what people do, their actions and reactions. It's serving God first and foremost. Well, the church at Corinth always undermined the apostleship of Christ. They always had an excuse. But Paul always directed them to keep their eyes on the Lord. Like he is here. And, and verse 6, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he, begun, as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. He wants the same grace that the churches of Macedonia were bestowed upon, the same grace, I hope that you can be under that same grace. It's only by the grace of God we can do anything, by the way, brethren. That's what Paul the Apostle said to the Corinthians. 
I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now, again, Paul's not undermining all the other apostles because with the responsibility comes the ability. God gave the ability with the apostle Paul, man, he had a schedule like none other. It was God's calling for his, his life. With it came persecution, trials, but with it came the grace of God for him to do what God's called him to do. But I'm afraid today with people with less ability, uh, responsibility don't even know what the grace of God means and how God wants to stretch their faith. Because if you're not resorting or trusting the grace of God, in, in essence, you are just resorting to man-centered ministry, and that includes yourself. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith, in utterance, and in knowledge, and in all diligence, look at this, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, to prove the what? The sincerity of your love. Okay, you said you want to give to these poor saints in Jerusalem. Prove you are. Is that manipulation? No. Why vow a vow? Why say you're going to meet the need and you don't meet it? This is the whole point that, you know, John is saying, don't love in word or tongue only, but in deed and in truth. What's the second example? Paul gives not only the church but also or the grace of God that was upon the church or the churches in Macedonia but he also gives Christ as the supreme example look at verse 9 for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became what poor that through his poverty Ye might be what? Rich. Now the word grace here in this context refers to the, Lord, the Lord's kindness. His generosity. How generous was the Lord. To give his own life, the Lord gave all that he had for the sake of others that we through his poverty may have eternal treasure, eternal riches. I don't know about you, but the life of Christ gave me a place in heaven. Caused me to be an adopted child of God. That's just wonderful. That's tremendous. And as much as I have been given, I want to give. And the reason why I want to go tell people about the Lord, because someone told me about the Lord. I want to meet the need. Hey, by the way, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's what brings about joy in one's life, by the way. And it's not always financial. It, can all, it could be time. It could be, it could be talents. It could be your own life. It doesn't always have to be financial. When it's always financial, people start shaking. But it doesn't have to be financial. A lot of people were poor in the Bible, didn't have money, but they gave themselves to the work of God. Matthew Henry said, the God-like grace the godlike grace should conduct and influence our whole conversation, which is meant by walking in it. It should be the principle from which we act. It should be uh, the direct. Uh, it should direct the ends that which we aim at, which we aim. It's true. This is the godlike grace. It should influence our whole conduct in life. 
Now I want you to see the savour of love. Not only the sacrifice of love, but the savour of love. In verse 2, it says that he gave himself for us as, a, as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savour. The sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ was a sacrifice that was acceptable unto God. In other words, the aroma and the smell of love was pleasing to God. The sacrificial love of Christ was not a bitter smell. It was a sweet smell of God. It was a sacrifice pleasing to God. Now, we don't have time to get there, but it's in our passage. The Bible talks about to prove, you know, what is acceptable unto the Lord. So there is a way to serve God that's not acceptable. Uh, a sacrifice given with a wicked mind is an abomination to God. You know, people give sacrifices to God, but they have a wicked mind. They have a wicked motive. It's wrong. God doesn't accept sacrifices that, that have motives that are tainted. Well, Christ was, you know, the, the spotless, sinless, without blemish. And then when we're serving God, we have to do it in a sincere manner, imitating the life of Christ in a way that lives by faith because faith pleases God. Someone once said, in love, so measureless, so reckless of cost, for those who were naturally so unworthy of it, there was a spectacle which filled heaven with the fragrance of God's heart with joy. And I don't know about you, but I want my service to God to be genuine, sincere. I want it to be in a, such a way where there's no hypocrisy. Uh, the love without dissimulation. It's not trying to serve to show others up. It's not trying to compete. It has a genuine love for God, to live for God, to live for others. There's no in, ill intent. There's no motive in it but to please God. The love of Christ is described as an offering and a sacrifice to God. An offering is when you offer something to God. A sacrifice has the component of death attached to it. So Jesus was an offering, gave himself as a sacrifice, his whole body. He gave himself as a burnt offering to God. So this depicts the fact that our Lord was completely devoted to the will of God. Let nothing, he left nothing, there was nothing that he held back. He surrendered all to the will of the Father, even to the death of the cross. Pleasing the Father was the greatest motivation the Lord had. It was the joy that was set before him. That should be the same motivation that we had. I mean, even from a little boy, Jesus sought to please his heavenly Father. He said to his earthly parents, Wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business? Right from 12 year old. He didn't live his life like we see the average man living his life today. Wasteful, vain. I mean, this is how we started the series, right? Renewed in your mind. Renewed in your mind that you, not, you, you should not walk as those Gentile walk in the vanity of their what? Minds. When Jesus started his public ministry and submitted himself to be baptized under John, there was a voice from heaven that came that said that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because he was, he was there to fulfill all righteousness. John was blown away at the fact that he was, he was baptizing Jesus. He was trying to clear the record and say, aren't I supposed to be baptized by you? 
He says, hey, listen, this is, this is to fulfill all righteousness. And then once he came under the Father, will to be baptized as if he was a sinner, a man. A voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. You know what he told the Pharisees who opposed him time and time again? He says uh, uh, to the Pharisees in John 8 verse 25, he says, the father have not left me alone for I do always those things that please him. Always. Now, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'm, when, I, when I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, and if I'm doing something that I ought not to be doing, God lets me know through His Holy Spirit, this doesn't please me, stop it. And at that moment, I have a decision to stop it or to keep going. And if I keep going, guess what's happened? I grieve the Spirit of God and find myself in the flesh. And if I stop it, I find myself walking in the Spirit of God, being directed and led by God, and He's going to lead me to serve others instead of myself. You say, what happens if you don't stop it and you find yourself walking, if you will, in the flesh? You need to repent. Turn back and say, God, look, I just, you know what? The flesh got the best of me. I'm sorry. What a waste of time. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. He always did that which pleased the Father. Look, we're not sinless like He is. He's sinless, but He was tempted in all points, just like we are, yet without sin. That's how it's so important that we walk with God, we walk in the Spirit, that He is able to succor us and help us along the way to help us to live like He walks. We're not on our own. You can't live the Christian life on your own. You need the Lord. That's why He gave another comforter. He said, I'll be with you always to help you along to encourage you especially if you're a surrendered person especially if you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of god i preached to myself this morning you know why because i want to love more I want to love more and I want to live a life that is selfless more than what I am. I haven't even scratched the surface where I, where I need to be as a Christian. You say, oh, but you're a pastor. Well, the closer you get to God, the more you see there needs to be done. Yes. You say, yeah, but I've given up this and given up that and given up that. It's not what you just give up. It's what God wants to do in you and through you. It's about others and living a Christ-like life. It's about meeting the needs of others. Sinners, they need salvation. Saints, they need encouraging and help. That's how, that's how Jesus lived. You mean you trace his life. You see it. And that's how he pleased the Father. You know what he said to his disciples? He said this to him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You say, you know what, did Jesus eat? Yes, he ate. Did Jesus have a pillow to lay his head? Yes, he did. If you don't, if you, he, he was, you find him sleeping in the lower parts of, of the ship 
When you look at verses like this, it doesn't mean he didn't eat. It means this. It means that he was living a sacrificial life that was willing to sleep anywhere. No matter where he was led by God. It was, and, and his meat was to do the very thing that God called. In other words, he hungered and thirsted after the very things of God. He wasn't concerned about the, the things of this life as much as he was concerned about his doing the will of God. Uh, a lot of gainsayers in here, oh, of course he, he slept and of course he did eat, yes. But he's showing us the fact that when he lived, he lived a sacrificial life, a life that pleased God. He cared about the things of God. I was walking in the car park today and the, and the car park was full already and the church hadn't even begun. And I said to Damon, I said, look, listen, Damon, the, the, the world that don't know God, mate, they're more committed to sports than some Christians they are to God. And you say, what's wrong? Why? Because I submit to you, they're not walking in love. They haven't been renewed in their mind. They haven't gone on to perfection. They're not moving forward with God. They're not walking as Christ would want them to walk. You know, the, the reason Jesus was able to walk in love and live for others was because he had the great love for the Father. I mean, this is the great motivation. If you wanting to please someone, is because you love them. Really, if you wanted to please someone, it's because you love them. Look what, look what it says here in John 14, verse 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh. Talking about in the moment, the prince of this world referring to the devil, trying to tempt him, but he has nothing in me. In other words, Jesus is not going to be tempted by him. He says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. You know how the world's going to know? When he went all the way to the cross and he endured the cross. And he hung on that cross because God the Father told him to, gave him commandment. He offered and he said yes. And we're a byproduct of his uh, sacrificial love and it's a sweet savour to God and God is pleased with it. Jesus pleased his Father by willingly giving himself for others. And so we need to do the same. We are to please God. We need to walk in love by living for others. Someone put it like this: "Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this be my motto. Uh, let this my motto be: Help me to live for others, that I may live for Thee." I want you to notice uh, the example of the church at Philippi. Uh, I want you to see in Philippians chapter four. Paul talks about the love and the support the church showed to Paul when he was in need. Now, Paul was no doubt uh, called by God. You can see that very clearly by reading the Scriptures. And the church at Philippi were the main supporters for the Apostle Paul. Philippians 4, look at verse 10. I want you to see this. Uh, I don't want you to miss some key, key components from this passage. And misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is saying here. 
In verse 10, he says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. In other words, you know, they didn't have any other opportunity to care for Paul, but their opportunity came. In other words, these church saw the Apostle Paul to be a true missionary indeed, unlike the Corinthians who always challenged his apostleship. They saw him. He was from God. They were the byproduct, the fruit of his ministry. And they wanted to be behind him. That's why he opened the letter by saying that he thanks God on their behalf for they were, you know, in the beginning, the fellowship of, of, of the gospel. Right from the beginning, they, they were supporting the Apostle Paul. And then from then, they sought every opportunity. Very careful. Paul, do you need anything? Paul, how can we help you? You know, Paul had to do a little tent making in order for him to continue his ministry. And he didn't mind that, as we're going to see. Paul wasn't looking for any kind of gift. He wasn't pressuring people for any kind of gift. I want you to see, he says in verse 11, not that I speak in respect, respect of want. He says, for I have learnt in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. Say, so it was okay with the Apostle Paul if he had to go and do some tent making, no problem. It, 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 it's the will of God. For him to go and, and do, it's no problem. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere, in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be what? Hungry. Both to abound and to suffer hunger. And this is, by the way, verse, verse used in context. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. In other words, no matter what condition I am financially, whether I have much or have little, God is going to strengthen me and I can do all things through Him. Amen? Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my uh, affliction. Uh, again, they, the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison at this point. He was bound in prison. You can just imagine the prison food over there. Well, Paul didn't really care. You know what Paul was doing? He was preaching in the palace. That's where his mind was. Because if you read Philippians 1, chapter 1, he says, look, listen, for me to go to be with the Lord is far better. If, if it was up to me, I'd be with the Lord. But he, the reason I stay here, because it's more beneficial for you. God is using me to be a blessing to you. He says, now ye Philippians, in verse 15, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Look at this, verse 17. Not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. What was Paul thinking about? All he was thinking about is their life being like you know, fruitful in the love of Christ, that they would, you know, simply, you know, and understand, store up treasures in heaven, you know, set your affections on things above. He was more concerned with their spiritual disposition than their physical disposition. When they gave, this meant they were giving to the work of the Lord. Because, you know, if Paul had much and he didn't need, he would have channeled that so easily, and he did to, to those that were with him. He had to take care of those people that he was with. He'd look after them. And so <clears throat> he was concerned about the account of the Christians. 
and 18, but I have, he says this, but I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, look at this, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to who? Epaphroditus is said to be one of the elders of the church who came to meet the need of the Apostle Paul. By the way, fell sick and almost died, but God had mercy. So not only the church at Philippi, but, the, but, but Epaphroditus willing to risk his life, even sick unto death, to meet a man's need, not that he asked for it. And he says, you did well, I'm, I'm, I'm content. You looked after me. You know, that's how God works. He uses people to do that. Did you know that? He works through us. Why? Because God can meet the need in any other way. He can make, you know, heaven rain with money. He can have money growing on trees. You could just see when he told one of the disciples there to get a coin from the fish's mouth and pay the taxes. I mean, he could do that. But he's given us an opportunity to know and understand the life of Christ and how we can please God and be a sweet-smelling savor to God by serving others. This is one of the ways that we can do it. Someone once said, we must keep Calvary before us and make Calvary love the goal toward which we walk. The Lord Jesus is a supreme example of love. At Calvary, he expressed his love for us and his love for God. To be a follower of Christ, one must have the same mindset of Christ. Have a look at Philippians chapter 2 as we come to a close. Philippians chapter number 2. Back it up a couple of chapters and look at verse 1. If there, be any, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of, and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being one accord, one, being, uh, being of one accord, of one mind. Look, look at this, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you. A follower of Christ has, seeks to have the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ is to live for others to the glory of God. Uh, we're going to look at one more passage to turn to in Matthew 16. And then I'll quote a few others and we're done. Matthew 16. Look at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, if we were to share this verse with a non-believer, we would say this to them. This is how a Christian should look like. We're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. But faith teaches us the Christian 
It teaches the Christian to live like Christ. This is how grace teaches us to live. Number one, a self-denial kind of life. Deny yourself. In other words, no longer my uh, my will be done, but thy will be done. No longer I, Lord, but you. What, What do you want me to do, God? That's how Jesus lived. He denied himself. He made himself of no reputation. He became a man. God becoming a man. Man, that's amazing. I deny my dreams. I deny what I want to do in life. You you ask the kids, man. Every single one of them, they they at least want to be five things when they want to grow up. And they change their mind. You know, oh, I want to be that now. And then they want to be that and want to be that. And we we keep telling them, "You you can, but what does God want you to be? I don't mind you being a carpenter as long as you're a Christian carpenter. You don't have to grow up to be a preacher. What if God didn't call you to be a preacher? But God's God's called everyone to be a witness. That's for sure. I know that. I just want God's will for your life. I mean, the worst thing is to play out of God's will. I mean, you read Ephesians 4. Walk in the vocation wherewith you are called. Find out what God wants you to do. And if you don't know what he wants you to do, sit back and... Settle down and seek the Lord and in time he'll reveal it to you and do what you need to do now by denying yourself and submitting under the proper chain of authority, which is right now your parents. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's how God orchestrated things. Unfortunately, right now you see the kids in the home want to rule the home. Isn't that a bit sad? Everything the kids want, the parents give to them. Thinking that's love. No, love is to lead by example. It's to serve them and, and lead them and nourish them in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord. And second of all, not only he says a self-denial here, but also a sacrificial walk, carrying the cross. Carry your cross. Brethren, our cross is not bearing, bear, bearing the burdens of our sin. That's not the cross. That's sin. Repent. This is my cross to carry. It's an addiction. No, it's, it's addic- yeah, it's sin. Repent. The cross that was bore was always bore for others. Jesus carried that cross for others. Carry your cross. It was the cross that he bore for others. In other words, you no longer live a compromising, convenient way of life, but a life that endures hardness by living for others to the glory of God. You say, how many times have you said that during this message? Well, this is the whole point of the message. We need to just drive it in. We need to live for others to the glory of God. That's the whole point of our life as a Christian. That was the life of Christ. Because then he goes on to say, follow me, which is not only a self-denial, a self-sacrificing, but a saviour following, a saviour following. Follow the saviour, follow me. That's what a Christian is. It's Galatians 2 verse 2. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I live. That's my motto. 
That's how God wants us to live. Listen, this is the renewed walk we must cultivate as Christians. Walk in love. This is how we ought to live from here on. That's what Paul's saying to the Ephesians. From here on, don't walk like yeah, these other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. They're living for self aimlessly. No eternal perspective. They're not living like Christ. You, as dear children, be followers of Christ. Live like your Savior. He gave himself as, a, as an offering to God. You give yourself as an offering to God by living for others. But you can't do that if you're not saved. So my last question here this morning is, are you saved? Trying to live out the Christian life without being saved is so frustrating. You know, have no help. It's religion. It's religious based. You know how many people try to live out this message without the Lord and being saved and born again without the Spirit of God? It's called religion. That sacrifice God is not well pleased. Trying to live the Christian life without Christ in you, the hope of glory, is not a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. You need Christ in you. Amen? Yeah, if you're not saved, get saved. So how do I get saved? Come and see me at the end of the message. I open up the Bible and show you how to get saved. And then God begins to do a work in you that no man can do. And as long as you continue to say, yes, Lord, and yes, Lord, you don't grieve the Spirit of God or quench the Spirit of God. He'll keep, keep you uh, going on that uh, trail of spiritual growth and sanctification and being like your Savior. And over the years, you can look back and you can see a miracle work and you can say, oh, I had a twin 21 years ago. I had a twin. I've been saved for 21 years and I think it was about five years into my salvation, my, my family were playing a video cassette. But back then we had video cassettes. <laughs> they played a video cassette and I was sitting down there and I saw myself. They were opening gifts, presents <clears throat> during that festive season. I had my glasses on, my, my sunglasses. It's on the phone. Couldn't wait for this family gathering to be over so I can go. Say, go where, Charlie? Go and sin. Go and have fun. Couldn't wait. Family, gathering nephews and nieces. I was over it because I was selfish. But I was watching that. And I was horrified. Is that me? That can't be me. And I, I was watching a man that was so selfish. I went in, I said, give me that cassette tape. I want to break it. That was a selfish man. I'd never want to be selfish again, living my life for myself. And I was only about five, perhaps several years in the faith. And we ever see as spots of selfishness in our lives, we should just, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to be selfish in my marriage. I don't want to be selfish as a father. I don't want to be selfish as a pastor. I don't want to be selfish as a friend. I don't want to be selfish as a worker. I want to be selfless. I want to live for others. As, he, as, he, as Christ lived for me, as he died for me, laid down his life, I want to think of others, others, not about me.
May God give us the grace that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia to be upon this church and that we will serve one another in love with a pure heart growing and cultivating in this area we're not perfect in this area brethren but do you want to be perfected do you want to be I do may God help us walk in love amen let's pray